This is Indianapolis coach, Reggie Wayne, and you're listening to the For the Culture podcast. This is the For the Culture podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. Chris Ballard's fourth draft in Indianapolis is officially in the books. We're going to go over our 2020 draft review and give our way too early initial draft grades. Chris Ballard once again does a phenomenal job and finally is receiving credit from the national media. I think a lot of people are hedging their bets on Ballard because you look back at 2018, he got killed for that 2018 draft class. Initially, Bleacher Report called Darius Leonard the worst pick in the draft, the biggest reach in the draft, and they have not heard the end of it over the last two years as Darius Leonard becomes a first-team All-Pro his rookie season and wins the Defensive Rookie of the Year award. So I think a lot of people are looking at Ballard, looking at the job he's done over the last four years and hedging their bets because if you make an uneducated assumption about a Chris Ballard pick that you don't know nearly as much as he knows about that pick or class that he knows about that class, you are in for a rude awakening in six months, eight months, a year, two years, five years when that draft class is pumping out multiple pro bowlers or multiple all pros. We are so lucky to have Chris Ballard and for the fourth year we come out of this draft feeling really good about what Chris Ballard is building in Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, he's exceptional with this. This is what, I mean, obviously this is what he does. Just watching this guy work and and, and shout out to the Colts for doing the behind the scenes thing with the draft. It's amazing. Seeing the way this the front office works together, you can see why they're so good at it. They're allowed to share their opinions. They voice their opinions and Chris Ballard listens to those guys. He trusts those guys, those scouts and those guys in the room. So the Colts are very, very lucky to have Chris Ballard and those group of scouts that they have. He does an exceptional job. And I think people are learning like how good he truly is at his job because you look at what he's done since he got to Indianapolis. He's completely just rebuilt this entire team. He's had just about everything go against him that you could possibly have. And he still put together one of the, in my opinion, one of the best rosters in the league from top to bottom. So I mean, he's just the man. There's no getting around. I mean, he is the man. I love I love what he did this year, the trade for Buckner all the way through to the undrafted guys. I think he did a hell of a job. And, uh, you know, I think we'll, obviously our grade is, is, is going to initially be way too early, but that's the fun of this. We'll look at it three years down the line and we can regrade it. But for now, this is the fun time. We get to talk about the picks and talk about, you know, what he did and, and what we think is going to happen. But, you know, based on what the evidence that we have, we know that somebody and probably multiple guys in this draft are going to be big-time players. Yep, and when we go into this review, we've had time now to process each pick, to look at the rationale of each pick, to listen to Ballard and Reich talk about the selections and talk about the process and talk about how they fit. I heard Ballard on the herd with Colin Cowers. So we have heard them talk. We watched the With the Next Pick series, another phenomenal job by Colts Productions and by Ballard and Reich allowing the cameras to come in and film their meetings and show teams around the league the secret sauce, how they go about their business, how everybody in their room has a voice and Ballard's selflessness and his trust and his confidence in his guys and himself 
to allow those cameras to come in to follow scouts to pro days and to listen to area scouts because there's a lot of general managers and we had one before Chris Ballard in Ryan Grigson who believed he was so much better than the area scouts that he might not listen to the little guy in the room but Ballard gives everybody a voice. Ballard wants to hear everybody's opinion. And I just want to say this because the most controversial take that we had during our player profiles following the picks was Jonathan Taylor. We did not love a running back at 41 at the time. We also traded up from 44 to 41 to get him. We later recouped that pick and got a better fifth round pick back after making the trade with the Detroit Lions. But in the moment, we were a little bit emotional and we got hammered hammered in the comment section for not being in love with that pick. And I just want to say this, as much as we love Chris Ballard, you could love a general manager and not agree with every single thing he does. Now, if we disagree with Chris Ballard 10 times, Ballard will be right and we will be wrong at least nine of those times, maybe all 10 of those times. But that's why he is the best, in my opinion, the best general manager in the NFL. That's why he climbed the ranks. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. That's why Chris Ballard was the executive of the year in 2018. So Chris Ballard is Chris Ballard. Nobody loves him more than Jason and I. You can love him as much as we do, but I don't think anybody could love him more than we do. And just because you love a general manager doesn't mean you need to agree with every single pick he makes. Philosophically, we have always felt this way. I said this back when the Giants took Saquon Barkley with the second pick in 2018. I said it when the Panthers took Christian McCaffrey in the top 10. And it is a little bit different drafting a running back at 41. But I've always been of this belief that the running back position individually has been devalued over the last 10, 15, 20 years. It's not a bell cow back league anymore. And with the Colts system, you could pick up a guy off the street like we did last year with Jonathan Williams, elevate him from the practice squad, and have him go off for 100 yards in back-to-back games. Jonathan Williams was on the street. We pick him up. We put him on the practice squad. We elevate him from the practice squad, and he gives us 220 yards in a five-day span from Sunday to Thursday night football. He's still a free agent right now. Nobody wants to pick up Jonathan Williams. That's what he was able to do behind our offensive line last year, which just goes to show if the system is strong, if the O-line is good, if the scheme is good, it's easy to plug and play running backs that you could just pull right off the street. So if I could get a guy I could pull right off the street and he could do that and then I could cut him and he could still be waiting looking for a home at like 26 years old then that position can't have the value that I could get at another position like a tackle for the future a tackle for depth at 41 because you don't see plug and play tackles available. You don't see plug and play pass rushers available. The running back position has been devalued over the past few years. Now, at the same time, Jonathan Taylor is one of the most talented running backs, maybe the most talented running back in this entire draft. He ran for over 6,000 yards in only three seasons at Wisconsin. He is a great, great running back. He's going to plug in, and I expect him to come out the gates and play like an all-pro caliber player immediately. I think he's going to be Thunder to Max Lightning. I think he has a little bit of Lightning himself with the speed at 226. So I love 
the player. I love what he's going to bring to the table in Indianapolis. I just didn't like that position with that pick. Plus, I didn't like trading up at the time, although we got the pick back, we recouped it, and we got a better pick in the fifth round from the Detroit Lions. So, I love the player. I just didn't like that position at that spot. Now, with all of that being said, I do have two exceptions to the rule. If a guy, if a running back is a transcendent talent, it's acceptable. If Chris Ballard and the Colts see Jonathan Taylor as a transcendent talent, which I would not be surprised because he was damn good in the Big Ten at Wisconsin, then I think you take him. And then he's a steal at 41 because if he is 90% of what Saquon is and behind the Colts offensive line, he could be better than Saquon because Saquon's stuck behind a horrible offensive line in New York. If you're getting that type of player, then it's totally worth it at 41. And that's why I put my trust in Chris Ballard. Does Ballard see a unique talent, a transcendent talent that he couldn't pass up? And watching that with the next pick series, seeing that he was actually debating Taylor versus Pittman at 34 makes me believe, yeah, Chris Ballard saw a transcendent talent. Morocco Brown said this guy is Captain America. They would be kicking themselves if they didn't draft him. So my first exception to the rule, every rule has an exception. My rule is you don't take running backs in the top 60 unless A, they're a transcendent talent, or B, you're ready to win a Super Bowl because the lifespan is so much shorter. The shelf life is so much shorter for running backs. You got to win. Joseph Adai, first round pick in 2006, doesn't have a super long career, but helped us win a Super Bowl in the 2006-2007 season as a rookie. So that justifies taking a running back in the first round who doesn't last very long. So when you look at Saquon, he's going to a team that's not ready to win a Super Bowl. You look at Christian McCaffrey, went to a team that wasn't ready to win a Super Bowl. Jonathan Taylor is coming to a team that's clearly going all in. We trade for Buckner. We sign Phillip Rivers. This is a win-now team. Being a win-now team, adding a running back, and adding a running back at 41 rather than adding a running back in the top 10 or top 15 of a draft is a big difference. So after thinking about this through, I could definitely get on board with the running back at 41. And I think he's going to come out the gate, and I think he's going to be the most productive rookie for this Colts team in 2020. I think he's going to come out the gate strong. I think he's going to be an all pro in his first two or three years. I don't know about the shelf life long term. I know he was very durable in college and I hope that continues and I hope the Colts are able to ease the carries on him going with that dual backfield, that running back by committee with Marlon Mack. So I hope the Colts are able to keep him as healthy and durable for as long as they can. But we are a win now team. And Ballard looked at this kid and he saw transcendent, unique talent. And he added him to the roster at 41 and he traded up to do so. So after now letting this digest and not being as maybe emotional as we were when the Colts initially made the pick last Friday, I feel a lot better about the addition of Jonathan Taylor, 41st overall. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to change my opinion on that either. I would have preferred a tackle with that pick and taken a running back later because we have nothing as far as depth goes at offensive line right now. But with that said, Jonathan Taylor is probably as far as just running, if we're just talking about pure running back, just running the ball, just running the ball, he was the best running back in the draft. Now, my issues with him specifically are he's got to improve in the passing game, and he's a fumbler. 
Now, do I think he can be coached up on these things? Absolutely. There is nobody as far as character goes in this draft better than Jonathan Taylor. There's nobody as far as carrying the football and getting yardage and just being an electric runner that's better than Jonathan Taylor. But when you look at a player, you have to look at positives and negatives. And I wouldn't be doing my job as an analyst if I didn't tell you guys what I saw on film that concerns me. Now, obviously, the tread on the tire is one thing, but I can look past that because of the durability, and I think we're always going to be a a two-back system. So he's not going to be carrying the ball 400 times or 300 times in a season. But the fumbling is a concern, and yes, he caught passes, and he was better in the passing game his, his last year at Wisconsin. But there's a level of comfort you see in certain guys catching the ball out of the backfield that you did not see with Jonathan Taylor that he's got to get better at. Now, you think this guy's the perfect prospect. He's not. But with that said, I think he can be coached up, and I think he can be a huge, huge factor behind this offensive line. But again, we needed a tackle, and there was one on the board that I think would have been a 10-year starter for us, and we didn't take him. Now, the bottom line is Chris Ballard obviously loves Taylor, and all the scouts love Taylor, and they are far more knowledgeable than I am, and they clearly believe that they can solve the fumbling issues, they can make them more comfortable in the passing game, and he can transcend our offense. He can change our offense. And the, I think we've been more of a you know, five to ten yards a clip running team, and this guy's a home run hitter. I get it. It makes sense. But that doesn't mean that I have to agree with it or change my philosophy to fit it. I'm not a narrative guy. I'll never do that. So I disagreed with the pick, but I understand it. Yep, and although now I can see what Ballard was doing, I will never change my philosophy. My philosophy will still always be my philosophy. I do believe every rule has an exception. There's an exception to every rule. So the exception to the durability is, is the team ready to win? You're taking a position that has a short shelf life, but if your window is now, then I think it's acceptable. And if I could pick up a guy off the street like Williams last year, then why am I taking a running back? That running back has to be transcendent. That running back has to be Adrian Peterson. That running back has to be Jim Brown. That running back has to be a talent that you can't find on the street because running backs now are a dime a dozen. So I need a guy who is not a dime a dozen. I need a guy who I can't just find anywhere. It has to be that guy. And there might not be another one of those guys for another five years. That's the type of player I need. And I think that's what Ballard and the Colts saw in Jonathan Taylor. I think they saw a prospect who's going to help us immediately. We're all in. We're trying to win a Super Bowl. This guy could come in immediately and help us. And I think they saw a transcendent talent who was graded way higher than 41. I think they had a top 20 grade on him, and he was on the board at 41, and they just couldn't pass up on him. Kind of like Pittman. Reich said he's not so sure he's not the best wide receiver in this draft class. You were able to get two guys that you liked at 34, at 34 and 41. So the more time that goes on, the more I think about it, the more I watch Taylor, the more I listen to Ballard, Reich, Morocco Brown, Ed Dodds talk about Taylor, the more I like him. But it doesn't mean that we are ever going to lie on this podcast. We're always going to be brutally honest, and I think that's what makes this podcast so great. We're not just fans that love everything the team does because we love the team. If we see something we don't like or it goes against our philosophy, we're going to come on the podcast and we're going to be honest about it. We're also going to lay out the pros and cons to each player. There's no such thing as a perfect prospect. If we were drafting first overall and we took Joe Burrow, we would have had pros and cons, positives and negatives. Every player has them, even within the Colts' war room. There's no such thing as a perfect prospect. 
There's pros and cons on Pittman, pros and cons on Taylor, pros and cons on Blackman. And not every scout loves every player. If each scout did a podcast and they were brutally honest about each pick, there's scouts that didn't love every single pick the Colts made. And if you watch the Wisp the Next Pick series, Ballard wants everybody in that room to voice their opinion. Stand on the table for the guys you love, stand on the table for the guys you hate, hash it out, and then Ballard, at the end of the day, makes the final decisions as the Colts general manager after gathering as much information as he possibly can. And we all know the formula is flawless because the Colts have been producing solid draft class after solid draft class after solid draft class. Now wrapping up Ballard's fourth draft in Indianapolis. And Jason, let's get into our initial way, way, way too early 2020 draft grade. I would have given him an A, but we, I just didn't, we didn't get a tackle. And I can't, like, going into a season, and right, I know, I know Chris Ballard has time to add, and I pray that he does because we cannot go into a season with Raven Clark as our backup tackle. We just can't do it. But everything else, man, you got the physical receiver that can catch the ball, high point the ball, 50-50 balls, plays faster than us. I mean, Michael Pittman is going to be a great player for us. Uh, he allows T.Y. to get work more in the slot and not be pressed by corners, so that's a huge thing. Um, then you go you go to Taylor. We've talked about it. Bottom line is the kid is a playmaker. The kid, he's an elite running back. He can take it to the house at any time, so that adds another level of explosiveness. Then you go to Julian Blackman, and here's a guy I love this kid. I think, and this is going to sound insane, and you guys are going to probably not like this, but I think this guy might be our starting free safety of the future. And the reason why I say that is what's Malik Hooker's biggest issue besides injuries? He hates tackling. This kid, he's as fast as Malik Hooker, and he is one of the best tackling, if not the best tackling, safety in the entire draft. Now, granted, he's coming off an ACL injury, so he's not going to be ready right away maybe pup to start the season, but I'm telling you this guy and people are sleep. Some I saw some PFF guys dogging this pick saying it wasn't, you know, he, he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. This kid is going to be good in this defense. He fits it perfectly. He can play free safety. He can, ta- I mean, the tackling is what is, is such an elite trait for him. And it's crazy because he's a free safety. He can play center field. He can come up and play in the slot in the nickel. He can play outside in a pinch. He played corner for his first two years at Utah. So this kid is a big-time talent. He just has to get healthy. The only reason I think he wasn't taken higher is because he's obviously coming off the ACL. But, listen, he's going to be a big-time player for us. I think he's going to start in the future. I'm not sure Malik Hooker is long for the Colts, if you want my honest opinion. He just hasn't been what we thought he was going to be. And then you go through the rest of the draft. The Colts got a defensive lineman, so they got some depth there. The back end I really like. We got special teams players. Our special teams were probably the worst in the NFL last year. We added two guys that are elite special teams players, one in the return game, another that can block punts, and also a solid linebacker in Jordan Glasgow. So you look at that, and then you add Blankenship as an undrafted free agent who I thought should have been drafted. I think he was the best kicker available. We got him. So we covered all three tiers of our team. So I I give it an A-. minus. I loved everything about it. I thought Ballard recouped picks like he always does. He's He's a master at that and got good, you know, got good back-end talent. The thing I like about the back three guys that we got, Windsor is a really high-effort player. He's going to give you everything he has. And I think effort is a trait that you, you really, you know, it's something that you can measure. Like you can say, okay, this guy, he's got an elite trait. He's a high-motor player. That, that is something that exists in my mind because not every player plays hard all the time. 
Windsor does. He's going to push those defensive players. He's going to push Tyquan Lewis. Getting Kendall Coleman's going to push Tyquan Lewis. So if Tyquan Lewis doesn't do his job, he's going to get cut. Then you look at the, the Rodgers kid, elite returner, elite, I mean, one of the fastest guys in the draft. That's an elite trait, 4-3 speed, 4-2-8 at the, at the pro day. You don't find guys like that everywhere. And then and in Patman at the end, too, who's a 6-4 guy that runs 4-4, that size-speed combination is a rare find. You get that in the sixth round. Uh, and then you get Glasgow, who I mentioned, who is, an, is probably one of the best, if not the best, special teams players in this entire draft. He blocked punts at Michigan. He did all kinds of things. He's a great gunner. He can do all kinds of stuff, and you can use him as like a Swiss Army knife on defense. And the best thing about him is this guy doesn't miss tackles. We got two guys in this draft who were probably top five tacklers in all of college football last year, and Julian Blackman and Jordan Glasgow, and they're both going to be on our 90-man roster. So I'm excited, man. I think he did a hell of a job. Big picture, looking at the whole thing from the trade of, you know, the number one pick to get a three-tech that's going to drive our defense, who's an all-pro player, to the undrafted guys and guys like Rodrigo Blankenship, who I think has a hell of a chance to make the team. I think Chris Ballard knocked this out of the park. Yeah, I'm going to go with a straight A because I think the goal of every team in the first round is to find a blue-chip talent, an all-pro caliber player, hopefully at an important position on the field. And the Colts found that in DeForest Buckner. So with the 13th pick, we're guaranteed an all-pro caliber player at an extremely important position the three-tech on our defense. We don't have to worry about how is he going to transition from college to the pros. Is he going to be able to make the jump from Oregon in the Pac-12 to the NFL? No. We've seen him play in San Francisco. We've seen him play his best football in the biggest games with the highest stakes, wrecking that Super Bowl before Shanahan and Garoppolo choked it away. So we know the type of player we're getting at 13. That should be every team's goal. Cincinnati hopes they have an all-pro caliber player in Joe Burrow. Washington hopes they have an all-pro caliber player in Chase Young. I think both teams got great players, but we know we have an all-pro caliber player in DeForest Buckner at an extremely important position. The only knock on that situation is that he's not going to be on a rookie contract. So other teams are getting blue-chip talent, and they're getting those blue-chip players where they don't have to pay him for the first couple of years. But we're in such an advantageous position with our salary cap, it's not an issue at all. And we get a plug-and-play veteran presence, only 26 years old. We already have Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson on rookie contracts. So we were in a great position. So right off the bat, we got off to a good start with Buckner. Then we address another need, day two, with the 34th pick and Michael Pittman Jr., also arguably the best player on the board at the time. So we get the best player available, who also fills a huge need. Then with the 41st pick, Taylor, and what he brings to the table, adding another dimension to our offense, making us more explosive. Julian Blackman, adding depth to the secondary, adding depth to the safety room. He could also play corner. He's versatile, has great ball skills. So I thought we got better in the first round, second round, third round. And then in the fourth round, one of the best picks the Colts made in terms of pure value, getting the most important position on the field, low risk, super high reward. If this guy turns out to be a franchise caliber quarterback and you could develop him and there isn't a better spot for a guy with his talent, with his size, with his arm, with his height at 6'6", then Indianapolis, you get a sit behind Phillip Rivers. There's no immediate pressure to play, and you have a quarterback's coach in your head coach in Frank Reich. So Jacob Eason out of Washington, one of the best value picks in the entire draft, and he couldn't have went to a better spot. A lot of times with these quarterbacks, where they land helps them develop. 
Lamar Jackson landed in the perfect spot in Baltimore. Patrick Mahomes landed in the perfect spot in Kansas City. Now, I'm not saying Jacob Eason is going to be an MVP in the next couple years. I'm not saying that he's Patrick Mahomes, but I'm just saying those guys landed in perfect situations. Tom Brady landed in the perfect situation 20-something years ago. And Jacob Eason, in my opinion, just landed in the perfect spot in Indianapolis. And the Colts didn't need to give up that much to roll the dice on this kid and have a shot to develop him into a franchise quarterback taking him in the fourth round because he has unteachable traits. He's six foot six and he has a rocket arm that cannot be taught. Those are God given gifts. And for a player with those natural raw qualities to be on the board in the fourth round, because if you ask the chargers what they saw in Justin Herbert, they would have told you he's a big body, big frame, and he has a powerful arm. Kind of sounds like the quarterback, the Colts just got in the fourth round. And if you pop on both tapes, I'm not so sure that Herbert is the better quarterback right now out of the two guys. I was at the Senior Bowl, did not like what I saw out of Justin Herbert, and I could guarantee you this. There is no way on God's green earth that Justin Herbert is 122 picks better than Jacob Eason. In terms of value, we definitely got the better value from the quarterback we drafted. He doesn't need to play right away. He'll be able to sit. He'll be able to sit behind a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback who Justin Herbert will be replacing with the Chargers. And you have a coach in Frank Reich. So Herbert's going to have a defensive-minded coach in Anthony Lynn. Jacob Eason's going to have the time to sit and develop behind Phillip Rivers with an offensive-minded head coach in Frank Reich, who played quarterback in the NFL, sat behind Jim Kelly, coached Peyton Manning, coached Andrew Luck, coached Carson Wentz, coached Phillip Rivers, sat behind Boomer Esiason in college at Maryland, who went on to have an MVP season with the Cincinnati Bengals. So I don't think there's a better resume for a head coach to coach a young quarterback and develop a young quarterback than Frank Reich. So I think Eason landed in the perfect spot. It didn't cost the Colts much at all to go get him. Low risk with the fourth round pick. Super high reward if the 6'6 rocket arm quarterback could develop into a franchise guy. It worked out beautifully for the Colts where Eason kept falling and falling and falling and he fell to a point where the Colts said we can't pass again. So I love the value of the Eason pick even if he turns out to be a bust. I love the value of the pick in the fourth round, so we get better immediately with the Forrest Buckner. We get better immediately with Michael Pittman. We get better immediately with Jonathan Taylor. We get better depth in the future with Julian Blackman when he comes back off the ACL. And then we get a project future quarterback who has first-round ability, first-round size, a first-round arm. If he went back for his senior season at Washington, there's a great chance he would be a first-round pick in the 2021 draft, and we just snagged him in the fourth round. Then after that, we had more depth to the offensive line in Danny Pinter. After that, we had a little bit of depth to the defense, and then we addressed special teams in the sixth round. Special teams were a killer last year for the Colts, and more special teams again with the undrafted free agents in Rodrigo Blankenship. So all in all, love this draft class. And with my way, way, way too early initial draft grade, I'm going with a straight A. Yeah, I completely agree. And just to go back to Jacob Eason, I love that pick. And the reason why I love it is because there's no risk. Literally, the worst thing that can happen has already happened with Zach Banner, if you guys remember in his first draft. He drafted Zach Banner as an offensive tackle for SC, and he was so out of shape, he just cut him before, I don't even think we got the training camp. 
that's the wor- the worst case scenario. And, and now we have the best offensive line in the league, or at least uh, arguably a top five, top three. You, I mean, I think it's probably the second best offensive line in the league. But it's ar- you can you could make the argument, you could have an argument. But but bottom line is it's you know even with cutting Zach Banner, we're still one of the top three O lines, top five O lines in the league. So my point is, there's no risk. This guy, you can't teach six six. You can't teach arm strength. He has both of those things. He's got the strongest arm in the draft. We got him in the fourth round. There's no risk. The reward is this guy figures it out and is our quarterback for the next 15 years or 10 years, whatever. And this is coming from a guy that's – Jacob Eason wasn't in my top five quarterbacks. So I'm not a huge Jacob Eason fan, and I'm not convinced he's going to turn into anything. But you look at that position in the fourth round and what's on the board and what our needs are – and the type of talent this kid is, I mean, you've got to take him. And if they can coach him up and get his mechanics down, get him to settle down in the pocket, his biggest issue is he turns into a, just a disaster whenever there's any type of pressure on him. I mean, he just throws the ball. You never know where the ball's going. If we can teach him, you know, if he can learn some pocket presence and to feel pressure and to do those things that aren't easy, obviously – but we don't need him to be great the first year or probably even the second year. We need to learn him to learn these things incrementally over a few years. He'll be ready to play maybe two years down the line. And even if he has to play next year, I like our team that's around him. So, you know, he doesn't have to throw the ball 40 times. You know, we can win playing Jacoby style where we, where, where we win by two points. So that might be my – it's crazy to say this, but it might be my favorite – pick of the draft only because there's literally no risk for the value for the value a lot of guys like i saw a lot of mock drafts people had this guy going some people not many but some had this guy at the end of the first a lot of people had him in the second most people had him in the second and we got him in the fourth that's a hell of a job by chris ballard again you cannot teach six six with that body frame and that arm he has he has an elite arm. You can say a lot of things about Jacob Eason. There's a lot of things that he has to work on. His pocket presence is horrible. That's his biggest issue. Sometimes his mechanics are god-awful. But the arm on this guy is, is the best in the draft. It's better than anyone else in the draft. So if you take those two traits, the size, the arm, and you can coach him. And we've got a guy, listen, he coached Carson Wentz. He got better. He coached Nick Foles. They won a Super Bowl, played the best of his career. Coach Andrew Luck had probably his best season as a quarterback. You know, P.J. Walker, nobody ever talks about that. He was the best quarterback in the XFL. Who coached him? Frank Reich. So I have no doubt. The only guy you can argue that he didn't help is Jacoby, but the other four guys I just mentioned did get a lot better. So I think Eason is in a perfect spot, like Luke said. He's got, you know, Frank Reich who is a quarterback, who is a backup quarterback, who definitely had to develop over time. He wasn't great coming out of Maryland. He developed He developed into the best backup in the league, coaching this guy who's developed other quarterbacks, such as Carson Wentz. I think he's going to do a good job. If there's something to be gotten out of Jacob Eason, if, there, if he's going to be anything in the NFL, I have no doubt in my mind this coaching staff will get the best out of him. I totally agree, and I don't want to beat the running back horse to death any more than we already have, but I do think this is a good example of value at the pick. 
In the fourth round, we got a quarterback who, if we could develop properly, he could be a franchise quarterback for the next 12 to 15 years. But the risk is, could you develop him? If we can't, then he could fizzle out and give us nothing, but he'll give us nothing as a fourth-round pick. Jonathan Taylor, I think you max out at four really good seasons. Maybe you franchise him for the fifth, and you could get five years out of him, and that would be maxing out the value of a second-round pick. Because you look at some of the running backs, Jamal Charles, great out the gate, fizzled out with injuries. DeMarco Murray ran for damn near 2,000 yards with the Cowboys when he was 26 years old. He was out of the league before the time he was 30. Running backs are just not built to last because the human body is not meant to play football, and it's sure as hell not meant to play the running back position. It's a grueling position, and these guys just don't last. But as far as immediate impact at the gate, I expect Jonathan Taylor to be the most productive rookie in this 2020 draft class for the Colts. I think Pittman is going to be a great Colt. I think he's going to be a great Colt for a long time. But we've seen great receivers like Reggie get off to slower starts in their careers and have Hall of Fame caliber careers. Reggie had a great career, but he got off to a slow start in 2001-2002. You look at a guy like Pittman, I expect production out of him right away. But if he gets off to a slow start, it's not the end of the world for a receiver with a running back. They hit the ground running. They give you incredible production years one, two, three, four, and then they start to fizzle out. And you don't see teams paying running backs. You look at what Derrick Henry just did for the Titans. They franchise tagged him this year. We'll see if he holds out. And he was like 80, 90% of their offense last year carrying them to the AFC Championship before running out of gas. But teams don't pay running backs anymore. So if you take a running back at 41, you're taking him for what he's going to give you on that rookie contract. And I think Jonathan Taylor is going to come out the gates, and I think he's going to be an all-pro within his first two to three seasons in the NFL. Possibly this rookie season, he might be a all-pro immediately right out the gates, following in Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson's footsteps. I think he is going to be the best rookie in this 2020 rookie draft class for Ballard and the Colts. Yeah, that's a great point. I totally agree. I think Taylor's absolutely going to make the biggest impact year one. And your your point's well taken about Reggie. He definitely didn't really come into his own. So I think 2004. I mean, he was good in 2001, got a little better in 2002. 2003, I can, maybe 2003. And I, I, think, I think Pittman will have a lot more immediate impact than Reggie had just because of the way the league is now. Yeah. But that said, I think Taylor is definitely going to have a big impact. And before we end this, I do want to mention Danny Penter. You know, I didn't know a lot about him when we did our draft breakdown of him. And the more I hear about this kid, the more I think he's a hundred percent going to challenge Golinski. Very athletic, very smart. You know, he can do everything you want to do and get to the second level. That's a great pick. The more I hear about, you know, and listening to Ballard talk about him, I think that might've been the most underrated pick of this draft because we're constantly improving. That's part of our team to me is our offensive line and we're still pushing to get it better. And I think that's a huge, a huge credit to Ballard. I think that's a great pick. I think the biggest issue now going forward with our team, obviously, and I've, I've made this point a million times, is, is getting a tackle. And I think he'll do that. I was hoping he would do it in this draft. He didn't, but I think he will somewhere. He's got it. He'll he'll get a tackle before we we get to football. But you know, Penner, I think we you know we didn't really mention him. We were, and I didn't mention him when I was talking about the draft earlier. But he was definitely a big time pick, and I think he's going to help solidify the depth of our interior part of our offensive line, which I think is always a plus because as much as I love our offensive line, we, we've been very lucky since, what, the Jets game two years ago with health. I mean, we, I don't think we've had a guy miss a game, and if we have, it's only been one or something like that. So based on just 
the way you know football works, we're probably going to have an injury this year. Knock on wood, we don't. But if we do, we've got a guy that can come in, I think, and, and, as a young player and, and really help. So I think obviously we need to add some depth there. But great job by Ballard getting value for that pick and trading up and getting the guy that he wanted. And I think he's really going to help down the road with our offensive line. Yeah, like you said before, the reason you knocked it down from an A to an A minus, and probably the reason I knocked it down from an A plus to an A, was because we didn't address tackle. And you cannot go into a season with LaRaven Clark as your backup left tackle. It just cannot happen. We've talked about this many times throughout the course of this offseason. That was one of our big needs going into the draft. Ballard didn't address it, but I would be shocked if Ballard doesn't have a plan. Ballard always has a plan, so I would assume that he has something in the works, whether he's lining up a trade or if he's looking at veterans that are still available. He cannot go into a season. He can't go into the summer with LaRaven Clark as his backup left tackle. And I think he knows that. I think he kept LaRaven as a safety blanket. He knew Joe Haig was going to find a starting job. He knew Josh Andrews was going to find a starting job. But he just wanted to keep somebody, one of those backup offensive linemen from last year, to keep a little bit of continuity with those backups in the O-line room. So I think that's what he was trying to do there. And I think he will address it before we get to training camp, if we get to training camp, if we have a training camp. But I think that we will see a tackle added over the next couple of weeks. I would be stunned, absolutely stunned, if Ballard just went into a season with LaRaven Clark as his first line of defense if something, God forbid, were to happen to Anthony Costanzo or even Braden Smith. I would be stunned. Yeah, one other one other thing I wanted to mention. I, I was kind of shocked we didn't take a developmental tight end. We did get one from, I think, Mississippi State as an undrafted free agent. But I was, you know, there were guys on the board that I really liked, thought were worth taking a flyer on. So maybe that's another reason I give it an A-. minus. I mean, the kid from Washington, I know he had some red flags, but I still thought he was worth taking a late-round flyer on just because I think the upside with him, the tight end from Washington, would have been would have been worth the risk. But, you know, we didn't take a developmental tight end. I was a little disappointed with that. But I think the guys, I think the front office and the guys, the coaching staff, they, they really believe in the three guys that we have. And I'm sure they'll pick up some other people for the competition and, and training camp and, and, you know, make it a little bit more of a bigger tight end room. Because right now I think we only have four, maybe five on the roster. So, yeah, we definitely need to add some tight ends. And I was a little shocked we didn't draft one. But, again, they think they got the three guys they need. And I, I understand that. So, really, you have to nitpick to really find too many issues with this draft when you consider everything. I mean, you got an all-pro player already with Buckner and then you look at all the guys that we picked up that are going to have immediate impacts like Pittman and Taylor um, and then Blackman down the line and then you get depth and special teams and all that stuff combined then you get into the UDFAs you get a you get an edge rusher and Kendall Coleman who I think has a really really good chance to make the team uh, especially with the way Tyquan Lewis is playing uh, or hasn't played in his first couple years and then you get a kicker I mean you really you really have to look under a microscope to find things you don't like about this draft and the only really the biggest issue I had was the lack of a tackle, and he kind of made up for that with everything else he did. So I think as a whole, man, I, I, the more I look at this draft, the more I think it's going to pay big dividends going down the line for this football team. Yeah, and the last point I'll make, just to piggyback on what you said about the tight ends, Ballard did draft two six foot four wide receivers, so two guys that could stretch the field vertically, but could also be mean red zone targets. So you look at a player like Pittman. Down inside the 20-yard line, targets that were going to Eric Ebron over the last two years could now be going to him because we haven't had that type of size at the wide receiver position. Now we have two guys that are six foot four. 
and they're not one-dimensional six-foot-four red zone targets. They're guys who could stretch the field, and Pittman's hands are absolutely insane. So you had a guy last year in Eric Ebron who was dropping balls in the end zone. You have a player in Pittman now where if you throw it anywhere near him and he could get a hand on it, he's going to come down with that ball. So I do think Ballard was thinking about the size he added at the receiver position when neglecting a developmental tight end. Plus, he hedged his bets by signing Trey Burton right before the draft. Just in case we don't draft a tight end, we're going to add a guy who's comfortable in the Frank Reich system, another veteran guy who has experience as a starter, has experience in the playoffs, has experience in a Super Bowl, and is comfortable in my head coach's offense playing with Frank Reich in Philadelphia. So it was a need, but I didn't think it was nearly as big of a need as it was before the Trey Burton signing and after drafting multiple six foot four wide receivers that could go up and snag a jump ball in the red zone and on the goal line. Yeah, it's a great point, and I totally agree. I think adding the size to the speed that we have with guys like T.Y. Hilton definitely is going to make a big impact. I mean, I expect Pittman to have a big season as far as red zone. I look at him as a as a Mike Williams, Vincent Jackson type guy. I think he's going to have an impact. I don't know if it'll be as big as Taylor, but I do think he will have an impact in the red zone. You made a great point. Having those big body guys down there makes tight end not as important. I mean, we've got three guys that I think are solid and really, really good, especially like if you think about it. I mean, Mo Ali Cox is a really good inline blocker. Jack Doyle's good at both. Trey Burton's a good receiver. So we've got it covered, I think. And and it, it, I just I would have liked to see the developmental guy. But again, like you said, Chris Ballard can br- he'll bring somebody in. So I'm sure he'll find somebody, bring somebody in for the competition. We got a fullback now, so I mean, it, it, you know, we've added a ton, a ton to this roster. It's definitely night and day from the end of the season, and I think we're the team to beat in the division. If you want to know the truth, I think uh, we have the best roster in the division, the most depth, the most talent. So I'm excited, man. I think it's going to be it's going to be fun to see these guys get on the field. And I'm really, really pumped about the future of this organization. I think it's the sky, as Chuck would say, the sky's the limit. Without a doubt. I mean, the Colts are all in. The trade for Buckner, signing Rivers, drafting a running back at 41. They made so many win-now moves. We had a fullback. We have so many different dimensions now to this team. We have the entire coaching staff coming back. We have Eberflus coming back. We have Sirianni coming back. Obviously, Frank Reich. So we didn't lose any coordinators last year. I think that this team is ready to explode. And you look at AFC South. The Texans are ran by an absolute buffoon, not only as their head coach, but as their general manager in Bill O'Brien. They traded away DeAndre Hopkins for a sack of potatoes. You look at the Titans putting all their faith now into Ryan Tannehill and paying him after 10 starts, so a little bit more than half a season. They believe he's a franchise quarterback. And the Jacksonville Jaguars are totally in the tank. So I think that this is the Colts' division to lose, and I think we might run away with this thing in 2020. So I'm pumped up. I'm ready to rock. It's going to be an interesting summer. See how they handle training camp in the preseason with the coronavirus. But hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we have football that first week of September. The schedule will be released this week, so that'll be fun to look at, go over, analyze, and give our way, way, way too early 2020 predictions, wins and losses for all 16 games. So that'll be fun. Tomorrow we have our For the Culture post-draft Q&A. We also have a couple of draftees scheduled for interviews. So that should be fun as well right here on the For the Culture Podcast.